We're going to be over in your Bibles to Judges 16. If you're watching online, we don't have the picture in picture today. Some of the people we're missing are the people we have on the on the computer. And so you'll have to do the old-fashioned way and look in your, your Bible at home. But we do have it up on the screen here for you here. We're going to be over in Judges 16. We want to finish that chapter off before we move on to something right in line with it. Children, you are dismissed. I guess I didn't say that. Last week we were looking at the, we continued our look at the life of Samson and we saw how some things he did just were very unhealthy in his relationships. We saw three reasons why people don't have support, the support people that they need. We're spending time on this series to find out how do we get people in our lives that are there to support us when we need support, that are there to help us when we need help. We've looked at a couple of the examples in the Word so far that people who had no real support team. Elijah was one of them. We saw the downside of not having support people. Samson is another. The first reason that people don't have support people when they need them is first off, they keep destructive companions. We saw in the first part that that Samson was out there keeping company with, with harlots. And there's probably people in his hometown that may have been friends with him but because of the people and the company he kept they said no we don't want any part of that you can have people in your life that are destructive that are people in your life that drive other folks away make sure that you keep them in a place where you can minister to them but they're not your close companions they're not the people that are uh, close in your life that you value the people that God puts as support more than those Samson did not do that and it probably drove some people away. The second reason was selfishness in their relationships. We saw that in this relationship with the next relationship, Samson and Delilah, which came after the harlot, that each one was in a relationship for what they could get. But Samson had the idea that I can change her. At least it seemed to be that way. She just wanted to get the money. She just wanted to get paid. And that's why she was in the relationship. Samson was in love with her. Wanted to change her make her into someone that would love him. But they were each in the relationship for selfish reasons. If you go into a relationship with selfish reasons, you will drive those people away. They will pick up on those selfish reasons and they will that will keep them from being the kind of people that you need. Third, trying to change others instead of enjoying who they are. A lot of times we get people in our life and well, there's not, I don't like this about them, I don't like this about them, I don't like this, so I'm going to try and change them. If you try and change the people that are in your life, you will drive them away. What you have to do is learn, why are these people in my life? What are they good at? And, and enjoy what they bring into your life. Don't try and make them into everything that you need. God will bring certain people into your life. This one brings this aspect. This one brings another aspect. This one brings something else. Make sure that you enjoy who they are. Don't go around trying to change them. If you give in to this mentality... No change will be satisfying enough. If I give in to the mentality that I cannot just enjoy people for who they are, I'm not satisfied, I'm not content with who they are, I will always be driven to find something else to change in them. And for the people that are closest to you, husbands, wives, children, folks like that, who wouldn't have just walked away before, you're going to put distance between you and them. They're always trying to change me. They're always trying to make me into something else. We all know that when we were single, there were married people who tried to change us and get us married. 
and that we rebelled against some of that. We didn't like that. We didn't like who they were fixing us up with. We didn't like that they're always telling, talking to us about that. Don't be in the place of changing the people that are around you. Enjoy who they are. God made them in a certain way. God brought them into your life as they are. Just enjoy them as they are. They're going to be flawed, but so are you. So enjoy them despite their flaws. That's all right. They can have flaws. They can be working on them too. God puts up with us with his flaws. And if God can use us with our flaws, why can't other people be used in our life with their flaws? Don't feel they have to be perfect. When we get into that mentality, changing others, we will adopt any means necessary. Even though some of those means may not be scriptural. We begin to think we're doing God's work, but truly it is our own. Well, I need to get in there and help them so that they can change this. They can become something else. I'm going to help God. We don't say it that way, but that's actually what we're doing. So stay out of those mentalities. Let's go over here and finish Judges 16. you got to see some of this stuff at the end. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. This is Judges 16, 21. They bound him with bronze fetters and he became a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. So they bound him and they made him a grinder. Now the anointing of God left. He does not have the super strength anymore. So he's at the grinder. He's he's doing the manual work to, to run this grinder, but he's doing it in his own strength. They put him to work to do something to take advantage of the strength that he had, but he has no strength. He's now doing this in his own ability. Now, if you were Samson, and this had happened to you, you had fallen in love with a woman, a woman that you probably shouldn't have fallen in love with. And and do take this. I didn't make this note last time, but do take this note. Just because you fell in love with someone doesn't mean God wants you to have them. God did not want him to have any part with with her. But he fell in love with her. He's going to go this direction. There's a whole lot of Christians who think, well, I know God said this in His Word, but I love him. I love her. I've got to pursue this. No. Just because you fell in love with someone or something does not mean God wants you to have it in your life. you got to find out what God says to have in your life and stay with that. So if you were in Samson's shoes... And all day long, you're running the grinder. You're, you're pushing the thing. The pictures I've seen of this is uh, him going around in a circle and pushing the, the grinder around and round and round and round. All day long, this is what you're doing. Talking about a boring job. Just walking around in circles. Same scenery all the time. And, and people are coming in. They, they probably are mocking you. Oh, great Samson. Look at you running the grinder. And he's hearing these kind of things, but he's beginning to think about, think about this. He's basically in a prison, but they're putting him to work during this whole time. If you were Samson and you went through all this, what are you thinking about? What's going through your mind? There's, there's a couple of different directions you're going to go. I'm going to give you two. One direction is, why am I here? Why did God allow this to happen in my life? Now you're saying, well, of course God didn't do it. But how many times have Christians been in situations like this and they're stuck in a place? They got there because of their own disobedience, because they were venturing out and doing things that God didn't say to do. Now they're stuck in it and now they're blaming God. God, why am I here? Why did you allow this to happen in my life? Why did you bring this, bring this upon me? 
He might be thinking that. If you begin to entertain thoughts like that, then you are going to be thinking of all the things you did that were right. All the things that justify how you behaved, how you thought, how you came to the conclusions that you did. This is what you're going to be mulling over. The devil loves this. This is his playground. Because he can sow any seed he wants to in you. He can just drop seed after seed and you just, just grow it and let it flourish. And you'll get mad at this person and you'll get mad at this person. Well, nobody back home would help me out. Nobody, uh, my parents didn't do this for me. And the people in Israel, they didn't do this for me. And you just keep going on down the list. Just like Elijah when he's at the cave. I've been very zealous for the Lord. And he begins to tell the Lord all the things that he had done. We begin to, to have a pity party. That's one direction he can go. The other direction that you can go if you're in this situation is you can be, begin to thank God, I'm in this situation because I messed up. Show me what it is I need to change. Show me what I need to repent of. And while you're grinding, you can let the Spirit of God begin to show you some things to fix and to, uh, to change in your life. Now, I know for a fact that Samson did not choose that way. He chose the first way. So we can get thoughts of selfishness. Why am I here? Or we can get thoughts of self-betterment. How we can make ourselves better. What I could have done differently. What role did I play in this? What mistakes did I make? Now think about this. If you're here in the Wednesday night service, whether you watched it online or whether you were here in person, remember Joseph. Joseph is in a prison. Is he taking time to try and figure out why did this happen to me? No, he's looking, working to make himself better. That's the direction that we should go. The way of Joseph. Samson did not choose that direction. Verse 23, Now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their god and to rejoice. And they said, Our god has delivered into our hands Samson our enemy. When the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. So they're coming together. They're going to offer sacrifices to Dagon. They're going to rejoice. And they say, Our God has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. The world can come up with any conclusion they want to for what they have seen happen. Do not always buy the world's conclusions. Make sure that you go to God and get His conclusions. Just because the world has said things are this way does not mean that is how it is. We need to go to God and find out. God, is there something that I should be concerned about here? Is there something that I should watch out for? Is there something that I should do? Take it in your spirit. Listen to your spirit on those things if the spirit of God tells you to be concerned or to uh, and, and sometimes he will sometimes he'll tell you to, to do some things did he not tell Joseph that this was a situation that merited concern did he not say the famine is coming be concerned make some preparations for this thing he didn't just say just claim it by faith you'll be fine he didn't say that he says no this is what you're going to do he gave him a passport there are times on the word that God said Something is coming. You need to get ready for it. There's other times when the world would say something is coming and God says, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. We got this. You don't need to do a thing. It's not coming. 
when Jehoshaphat had the multitude coming, what did God say? Hey, don't fret this one. I got this one. When the Israelites were surrounded by the Egyptians in the Red Sea, what did God say? Don't worry about it. I got this taken care of. They didn't have to do anything. But when Joseph got the dream, there was something to be taken care of. There were situations that people ran into that they had to take care of. And they needed to do something about it. In the book, in the New Testament, there was a famine that was coming upon the church of Jerusalem. And so Antioch and other churches gathered up some, some, uh, funds. They gathered up some food and they sent it in there for the saints to help them through the period of famine. This is something that God showed them to do. In the book of Acts, something that comes to a, a confusion for a lot of people is when the prophets came out to Paul on numerous occasions, according to him, and told him, that he was going to be bound when he went to Jerusalem. Then all the people said, oh, you shouldn't go then. You shouldn't go. God was not telling him not to go. He just told him what was the, what was coming. This is coming. You prepare for it. And he got ready for it. And he ended up doing what he was called to do, which was testify before kings. He went before Caesar. He went before several kings before he got to Caesar. He was doing the things that God had told him to do. So listen to God. If he tells you to be concerned about something, hey, that's, there's something going on there, get it checked out. Sometimes we got something in our body going on and we listen, listen to your spirit first. What's your spirit telling you? Your spirit says, yep, go out there and take this, take care of this. Well, go out there and take care of it. Go out and do what he, he says to do. He'll tell you to do some things. There are other times he says, it's alright. It's not a big deal. I've told you the stories. We try and keep you up on the, these stories because I want you to know the kind of things that you should do. You're not supposed to just stand there and say, well, in faith, I believe. You're supposed to listen to what the Spirit of God says to do and act upon that voice. That's the rainbow word He's speaking to you. Sometimes, you know, one of our, our kids, Lisa might call us up and say, I got this thing going on. And, and so we'll listen to our spirit and our spirit says, it's not a big deal. And we just let her know it's not a big deal. And so we're, we're, we're calm and we're relaxed with that and, and no, other times God says, no, pray this way. Go out there and do this. I've had situations in my body and a pain comes up and in my spirit says, go to the hospital and get this done. I went to the hospital and got that done. And you just got to listen to what he says to do. Other times it comes up, it's not a big deal. Just listen to him. When the world tries to tell you that something is a big deal, I know they're trying to tell you, you know, the pandemic, they call it a pandemic. It has never fulfilled the definition of a pandemic. So you know what they did about that? They redefined pandemic. I don't know if you all are aware of that, but they actually redefined pandemic. They redefined, uh, what is it, uh, vaccine. They redefined that this year. Uh, it's been the same definition for a long time. They redefined it this year and uh, changed, changed what a vaccine means. They changed what a lot of things are. And then they begin to talk about it out of that. And so just don't, don't listen to it. I, I told you before this whole thing became a camp- pandemic, I told you in my spirit, I knew this is not a big deal. This is, it's, I didn't say it was nothing. I said it's not a big deal. I didn't tell you that H1N1 was a big deal. I didn't say it was nothing. It's, it's not that it's nothing. It's just, it's not the big deal they made it out to be. I'm not afraid of it. I'm not scared. I'm not gonna, or people have, have the, whatever they want to name and they want to put on it. Well, we can't go in there. Why? We read the stories. How many of us get excited? John G. Lake walked into the middle of the bubonic plague. That's a plague. That was something serious. He just walked in the middle of it. 
And he even told him, let that stuff touch my finger, it'll die. It did. He spoke it out. Don't be concerned about this. Somebody makes you go take a test and they test something out and they say, well, you've got whatever it might be. So, we told you before, the test is false. The test is actually being thrown out by the CDC. They're not going to use it anymore because it doesn't produce a correct result. But beside that, just don't, don't be concerned. Does God tell you to be concerned about it? They're all talking about shortage. How many have heard things about shortages coming up? If God in your spirit tells you to be concerned, then take action. If he tells you to take action against something, takes action to store something, that's not unbelief. That is belief in what he said. He spoke it to you. He says, go out there and store this up. If he told Joseph to store up grain to get ready, and that was an act of faith, it's not going to be a, a, a wrong act for you. You're acting on what's, what's in your spirit. Don't act on what the world says. Don't do it because the world is saying we're going to have a shortage. I don't care what the world says. What's your spirit saying to you? If your spirit says to you, go get ready, go get these things stored up, go out there and do whatever the reason is, maybe it's just so you have something to give out to other people. Whatever it might be, just listen to the spirit. If he says go out there and do it, he'll give you the uh, ability to go out there and do it. But but don't be concerned about it. Don't get in fret. Don't get in fear. Don't, uh, don't make it into something bigger. There is nothing from the pit of hell that is bigger than our God. We don't need to be concerned about him. But they will, they will try and, well, this is going on. So therefore, this is happening. You know, we had a big hurricane. Oh, that must be the climate change is happening. Folks, there were bigger hurricanes 50 years ago than there are today. There were hurricanes that created a lot more damage or a lot more dangerous than some of the ones that we're seeing here today. I'm not saying that you just ignore hurricanes. You surely... They're coming. You get ready for them. But don't buy into what they're saying. Because, uh, what was it, back in the, uh, I think in the 70s, they, they pitched it for a number of years that things were going to be underwater by uh, 2000. Uh, wasn't it th- not, not, not too long ago, Al Gore said we weren't going to have any more snow by, what was the year, 2006? No more snow? I don't know. He hasn't been in my front yard and shoveling the show, snow last year. We had a de- We had a decent amount of snow, I think. They don't know what they're talking about. Nor do they know what they're talking about here. We know what happened with Samson. But the world will look upon the things that God or doesn't do, does or does not do and they will come to their own conclusions. Do not listen to what the world has to say. Don't listen to it. No matter how alarming it may be. If the world comes down and says there is an asteroid coming to earth and they will try and do this soon. There's an asteroid coming to Earth. It is coming our way. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Go back and read your Bible. What's the end of the book say? There's no asteroids coming during the church age that's going to wipe out the Earth. They're not. There are some activity that goes on during the tribulation, but it does not wipe out the Earth. There are some things that it does harm, but it doesn't wipe it out. So if they want to talk about an event like that, we go to the Word. The Word says, it's not happening. Don't be concerned about it. We're all right. We've we've got inside information. We know what He says. But they they will come out with these things. Our God has delivered in our hands Samson, our enemy. Really? 
Is that what happened? We know that's not what happened, don't we? But that's not what they think. That's not what they're looking at. The destroyer of our land, the one who multiplied our dead, verse 24. Well, he multiplied their dead, but not nearly as much as he was supposed to. Should have been a whole lot more going on without, with all that. So it happens when the hearts were merry, that they said, call for Samson, that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison, and he performed for them, and stationed, and they stationed him between the pillars. Now, I don't know what kind of performance he did. He doesn't have the strength now, right? So he can't do feats of strength to show them. So if he is performing, more than likely what they're looking at him doing is coming in and not able to do any great feats. And some of those great feats that they would put upon him would harm him. And they would laugh. Ha, 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 ha. He can't even stop that. He can't even do anything with that. And then they're entertained. Don't think he's coming in entertaining them with his great strength. He's not. He, that great strength is gone. It did say his heart began to grow. But as far as we know, his great strength has not returned yet. So they're looking at the, at the entertainment value of Samson. What can you do to entertain us? So I would imagine it's his failure that they're getting excited at. They're seeing that he's not able to do some of those things that he was once able to do. Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. Now here's an interesting uh, aspect of this. I don't know for sure, but I wonder about this. How does he know that there are two pillars that basically hold this thing together? His eyes were put out when they captured him. How does Samson know that there is two pillars somewhere in the center that he can put his hands on and cause damage to this building? Is it possible that he was in the temple of Dagon before. Why would the deliverer for Israel be in the temple of Dagon of the Philistines? It may be possible that his uh, love of his life, Delilah, had coerced him to go on in there. Perhaps he had seen some things in this place. So they had him stationed between the pillars. Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof watching while Samson performed. Then Samson called to the Lord saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. How many times do we pray like this? O Lord God, please hear me. O Lord God, please help me. O Lord God, and we just you know, kind of plead with him. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. You would think after all that time of contemplation that he would come to the realization that I am not in this for me. I am in this for the people of Israel. I'm in this to do the things of God. I'm in here to do to accomplish what God says. He wants revenge. Why? For his two eyes. The man has not grown out of his selfishness. He is still just as selfish as he was before. Should all these people die because of two eyes? Samson thinks so. Oh Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray. Just this once, 
How many times have Christians, I'm sure nobody here, how many times have Christians, oh God, just heal me just this one time. Oh, I'm so sick. Oh, I'm so, oh God, just heal me. I won't ask you ever again. I won't ask you for anything more. Just one time. He did this. There's no faith in this prayer that he's praying. There is nothing about this prayer that you should emulate, that you should copy, that you should uh, pursue. Put this prayer right out of your head. The only reason that Samson's strength came back, his hair grew, and he decided to take an opportunity to go against the Philistines. And God says, we need to come against the Philistines, and this is all I can do to get you to... God took it. Now, he's not going to kill a whole lot here. He's going to kill more than he did in his entire life. But all the lords of the Philistines are there. This is the leader's. That's going to be a blow. They'll recover, but it's going to be a blow. So, Samson in death, he has to be restored for self-revenge. Help me to be better. Help me to, to be, be fixed. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple and he braced himself against them on his right and the other on his left, and Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. <clears throat> now it could read, He pushed with might, and the temple fell on the Lord's and on all the people in it. The text reads, He pushed with all his might. might. That would be a change. Because before he pushed with the Lord's might. So it's possible those words there all his and I, I don't know Hebrew well enough uh, if it was in the in the Greek I could tell you better what, how much those all all his should be there but he pushed with all his might it could be possible that it just should read with all might that the might of the Lord came upon him and he did this but it would be very odd if we see all his might now he's doing something in his power and his strength. Maybe he's trying to combine his strength with God's strength. Whatever it might be. But he knows how to access the anointing. I would think that he would access it that way. And the temple fell in the Lord's and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he killed in his life. Now when I think about this, he, he first, he calls the little boy over. Little boy, come on over here. Show me where the pillars are. And he shows him where the pillars are. You think he would have said to the little boy, now get out of here. How many, how many might think that Samson might say that? I don't think so. Samson doesn't care about people. Plus, if he would have told him that, he might have uh, warned the other people. Hey, everybody get out. He doesn't know. So more than likely, he didn't tell him. And so this little boy who helps him out, more than likely died in this, in this, uh, this crash of the building. And his brothers and all his father's household came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtael in the tomb of his father Manoah. It would seem it's possible that either the, his father has a tomb or his father is already dead. Somewhere along the course of this he died. He judged Israel for 20 years. The only ones who come for his body read it again are his brothers and his father's household. Doesn't mention his father coming. That's it. No one else came. Through all this time, 20 years judging the people of Israel, 
that's supposed to be their deliverer, no one comes to pick up his body, take his body out of there. I'm surprised the Philistines let him come and get it. But somehow they, they did. Now turn over to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. How did Samson do? How did Samson do in his life? <laughs> Not so well, did he? He was doing a lot of things through selfish ambition and conceit. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. It does not say don't look out for your own interest. It says don't just look out for your own interest. Looking out for your own interest is fine. People who don't look out after their own interest are going to hurt themselves, and by hurting themselves, they hurt their ability to help others. You can look out for your own interest. But in so doing, also look out for the interest of others. Be, be combined on that. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men. Now, we're not trying to make a study on Philippians here. We did that a few years ago. You can always go back and, and check some of those things out. But he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in, Je in Jesus Christ. Be of the same mind that is in Jesus. You are to have that same mind. And then it goes on to talk about, as far as Jesus is concerned, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men. So this is what he did. He was God. He took the form of man. He became a bondservant. He humbled himself. And he took this form to help others. Now he benefited from it because Jesus wanted his church to be bought back. But so did we. He didn't just do this because he was looking out after his own interest. He was also looking out after our interest. He did it for, for both. That's the kind of mindset we need to have. The same one that Jesus had. This word here, selfish ambition, it means faction, contention, strife. Faction, contention, or strife. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. Don't be doing things because I want it this way. In our closest relationships, we often see this, that things are being done through selfish conceit. I want it this way. Now, if we see our children do that, if they get in there and they demand, I want milk. What do we do as parents? I mean, some parents were, okay, okay, honey, I'll go out there and get, and you know where that goes. You know how that helps that, that child. No, we need to be, be with them and, you want what? What happened to asking nicely? 
and we just kind of stand back there and and uh, and do that. My uh, my daughter was telling us they had left the, the two littlest ones with us, and so to give us a little bit of a warning because uh, little Lumi is getting a little more dramatic in some of her her things, and so she'll do these uh, fits, you know, the yeah, not quite all the way up to that, but you know where they put the oh and they throw themselves backwards and. <laughs> So it wasn't quite that dramatic, but she would throw herself down on the floor and she would, you know, wail on. And she said, you know, don't give in to that. I said, oh, don't worry about me. I take pleasure in not. <laughs> and so she says to me, well, she's only a year and a half. <laughs> so I said, all right, I'll, I'll try and temper that a little bit. <laughs> but, you know, when I see the little kids, you know, Christian sometimes, Alyssa didn't do it at all, but uh, Christian would sometimes do it to a little temper tantrum. I just sat back there and said, yeah, go ahead and do it. Come on, let me entertain me. <laughs> and it wouldn't do any good, so eventually he would stop. But when you give in to that, when you, you see the people at the Walmart, and they have the kid in the basket, I want gum! And you're sitting back there, seeing this whole thing go on, and you're thinking, this is, this is not good. This is not helpful. But then, when we go home, we will do the same things to our spouses. And we will do things through selfish ambition. We will sometimes even do the same things to our kids. We tell them, you cannot make that kind of a demand of me, but we will make that kind of a demand of them. We must be careful we don't demonstrate something different from what we are teaching. And if we are demonstrating between our husband and wife relationship, the kids will see it. And they will, they will mimic that. If we do things through selfish ambition, well, I do not want you doing that. They will mimic it. They will see it. you got to be careful. Let nothing be done. How many things should be done through selfish ambition? Nothing. How many of those verses in the Scriptures? Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. Yet, it does not seem to stop us when we get caught up with selfish ambition, does it? But I need this. I need you to do this. I need to have... And we begin to say, say these things. Selfish ambition is coming. It's coming right out of us. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. That word means empty, glorying, self-conceit or vain glory. Well, I deserve to have this. Well, you ought to do this because I deserve to have it. If your kids stood up and said... I deserve to have milk. I deserve to have gum. What do you say? Yeah, what job you got? But we'll sometimes do this with our spouses. We'll sometimes do this with people that we're trying to cultivate to be part of a support team that we need. If you put these kind of demands on people, they will walk away. It's not just a spouse thing. It's not just a husband and wife. It's not just the kids thing. There are some times, and you probably have been there, have you ever been called over to help somebody with something? And while you're there, they pick on how you did it? Well, no, you can't do it that way. Well, no, I don't like it. That No, and they just keep, they, they keep picking on what you're doing. Now, you may go through and you may finish the job, but you're thinking when you're done. How many are thinking this when you're done? I'm not coming back and helping you. I helped you that one time. I'm not coming back and helping you. You are on your own. Why? I am not going to be part of your support team. I am not going to be one of those ones that you can depend on because of what you have done. They won't say that to you, will they? 
But when you call them again, hey, can you come over and help me out? What are they going to say? You know what? I'm busy. I got some things going on. I can't do it. See, we have damaged our support team. Most of the time, we don't have people that will come along and help us when we need to have help, when we need to have support. Most of the time, it's because we have damaged it somewhere. Well, I don't think I ever did. Well, it doesn't matter what you think. What matters is what do they think. If they think you have, then you have. So you have to, you have to go with that. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. <clears throat> Don't go in that, this direction. But in lowliness of mind, verse 3. In lowliness of mind. Stop thinking of yourself so highly. That term, we talked about it before, that term that people use. I don't deserve this. Don't raise your hand. How many people have ever used that? Use your inside hand. Ever use that phrase? I don't deserve this kind of treatment. I don't deserve to have this. I don't deserve this to come out. We've said that. That comes up on the inside of us. I'm thinking of myself more highly probably than I ought to be thinking. No, I ought to be getting lowliness of mind. This is what the Bible says. This is not what I'm saying. This is what the Bible says. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. I want you to think about this. Think of the times in the past you have been part of a support team, part of someone's help team, someone that you came alongside to help them on something, and they made you feel less. They made you feel like you were not as good. You were not helpful. And what did you want to do? I don't want to do this anymore. It happens enough times, some people say, I'm not helping anybody. And we just cut ourselves off. devil loves that. When you bring people in to help on your team, you want to raise them up, you've got to first off understand, when you bring them in, they will not be as good as you are. They will be less than you. You've got to accept that. They're going to have some flaws. They're going to have some places. They don't quite measure up. If you make them feel bad about it, then they just won't come out anymore. You've got to train them up. I think of the times when I was uh, doing the bunk beds and the kids were little. We started them out because when they were real little because we just needed extra spaces and that's how we, we got into the thing. But... We would, we start out, we would, I would pay them to keep their rooms clean. So that I could bring people in to, uh, to see the beds and decide whether they wanted to buy them. So I would pay them to keep their rooms clean. And so that worked out real good, you know, when they were little. And, uh, and that was going on. Right now, nobody wants to come by and see them. It hasn't, it's been years, many, many years since anybody really wanted to come out and see them. And so we just, everybody's so used to buying them online that we just have this stuff online and they just, order it and most of the time I'm meeting people for the first time when we show up at the house. So, uh, Christian was getting older. Sometimes even uh, Alyssa would go with me but more often than not it was Christian who was going along with me to some of the bunk bed setups. Now I think when he started, you know, he's probably in the single digits as far as age was concerned but he would go on out there and he would help me out. Now if, you know, when he was single digits and he was first going out, how many uh, could have, could imagine how much help there was probably there. Sometimes I go on the scene here anymore and, and the little kids, they love to come on in. 
you know, and they're four, they're five, they're six, and they just want to come in. And uh, it's not always the boys, but it's mostly the boys. They get, they get in there and they begin to look. Uh, can I help? Oh yeah, yeah, come on. And so you know, we have them put some bolts in, and the holes. And if they're old enough, you know, I'll let them do the screw as long as I'm holding on to it. Because you hold hold on to the screw gun. That screw gun can break your arm. Don't think those screw guns are just some innocent little thing. That can snap your arm faster than anything, especially for the way we use them, the application we put them in. You have to be real careful. I have to be mindful every time of how I'm doing it. You can't just be be drifting away and thought. You have to always think on the what's going on because if it torques at the right spot, catches that thing, it will flip around and you're holding on to it and it just takes your arm with you and it will snap it. I've heard guys bigger than me have snapped their arm with a cordless drill. Because there's a lot more powerful now than there used to be. So if I have a little one over there doing it, I'm holding the back, I'm holding the front. <laughs> They're just pulling the trigger. Now it takes me a lot longer to do it this way, but you know, they get some fun out of it and it's, it's good. But with Christian, you know, we would, uh, we would have him do some things that he could do. But after a while, you know, he got pretty proficient at it and he got pretty good at it. And we made up a, a team. And as he got got older, uh, he could do. He could probably put the bed together himself. He wouldn't even need me. He could just do the whole thing. And so what we ended up doing was we just divided up duties, and he'd be on one side of the bed, I'd be on the other side of the bed, and we got it to where the two of us could put that bed together. And I think it's been a while since we've done it, but I think we had it down that we could take a twin over twin, and we could put that bed together in 15 minutes. Two of us together. And then he left. <laughs> there was one time we had a family that came over to the house and a uh, little boy was there. and uh, We just had one of the few people that came on by anymore. And so we were, we were shown on the bed. And, and uh, I said, now, I said, when I come and set this up at your house, if my son comes with me, with me we'll set this thing up in 15 minutes. He goes, oh, really? I said, we sure will. And so we got there, and my son came with me, Christian came with me. And so we were in there, and the little boy was there, he's watching. I said, do you remember how long I told you it would take us to set this up? Uh-huh. <laughs> I said, all right, you time us. And we, we timed it, and we had it done in 15 minutes. Now then, he went on his own. And so it came uh, as, a, as a necessity. I had to come up with a way, how do I put a bunk bed together by myself? No help. I don't have help as an option anymore. I have to be able to put this thing together by myself. So I developed what to do and I knew how to do it. And so I could put the same bed together by myself, no help at all, 30 minutes. But you see, it was 15 minutes with them. But I can still put it together in 30. And I have ways to do it. So most times people come and they pick up a bed. You're putting this together by yourself, putting it together with help. I said, I don't care if that person's just holding stuff. Oh, no, I have somebody to hold it. All right, we'll show you the two-person method then. And I don't show them the one-person method. But you see, I had to spend time with him when he was no real help in order to get him to a place where he would be a real help. And if during that time when he was young and he couldn't do all the things, I put him down. Why are you doing it that way? Oh, don't do that. That's stupid. Don't do it that way. If I did this, if I said these things to him, how much, how many times will he want to come along? He, he probably won't want to come along long, much at all. No, I paid him when he came along. I paid him to come along when he wasn't helped. I paid him to come along when it was kind of a break-even thing. And I paid him when it was better if he came. <laughs> than 
then it wasn't. And you know, when he came, you know, there's two of us carrying these things up the up the stairs and all that sort of stuff. So it was a uh, it was even more help. But I paid him for all that. We would we would work together as a team. But if you don't take time to develop people in your life when you don't need them. If you don't take time to develop them so that when you do need them, they have the talent and ability to function and they won't be ready. Now, the same thing works for husbands and wives too beside these teams. If all the time a husband or wife are putting the other person down for what they're doing, they're going to stop doing anything. They're just going to, well, I just I can't do anything right, so why in the world should I even try? And you can't do that. You wouldn't do it to your kids. Don't do it to your spouse. Stop putting them down. Well, I don't put them down, but they do so many stupid things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, what they're doing is they're just not doing it the way that you do. We have to be careful with our words. He says here, this is in the Bible. This is not my... I didn't write this. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself except for your wife. Except for your husband. Except for your kid. No, it doesn't say that. we got to stop looking down on each other. This is a tool of the devil. He can get a husband. He can get a wife. He can get a parent to a child. He can get you to look down upon the other. They're not as good. They're not as spiritual. They're not as godly. They're not as used. Whatever it might be. And we look down upon them. If you look down upon them, you will treat them as less than you. You will. You cannot stop yourself. Because that's what you believe. That's what you think. You've got to get that mentality out. Let this mind be in you. We've allowed a wrong mind to get in us. And instead of developing people for our support team, we put them down. We're not bringing them alongside to help us out. If you want prayer support, then you better be a prayer support and you better let people come in and be a prayer support when you need it. Well, I'm not going to call that one in. You know how they'll pray. You know what they'll do. Well, bring them in and help them to learn what to do. So that when you do need it, they are there for you. If Jesus could get prayer support out of the twelve disciples in the garden... We can get some prayer support too. Verse 4, Let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Well, I did that, but they never saw it. That part's not in the Bible. It doesn't say do this as long as they recognize it. It says do it. Let this mind be in you. Jesus Christ, as an example, did things that would benefit us. He looked out for our interest. He looked out for his, but he looked out for ours. He didn't just look out for his. This is what we had. This is the mind we have to have. If you get this mind on, it's not something that you pretend. It's not something that you suppress all these feelings. That your spouse is stupid. That your spouse is useless. 
that your spouse can't be of any help to you, that your kids are useless, that your kids have nothing good in them, that your friends, they're all useless, they all can't be of any help. If you have that mentality, it will come out. And this is why you're not going to have people in your life when you need it. That's a... I put this in. I started going over this this last week, and I meant to finish it, but you know, we I kind of ran out of time. So let me finish this for you here. Put it in the outline so that you would have it. How to shut down conversation? If you want to learn how to shut down, y'all know how to do it anyway. I'm just going to show you the things you're doing. All right. This is how you shut down conversation. If you, how many don't raise your hand? Inside hands on this one only. How many of you have people in your life that you wish you had more conversations with? And yet many times we have shut down the conversations. We just don't know that we're doing it. We don't know that we've hit the off button. So I wrote down some things. This is not an, ex- an exhaustive list. I'm just giving you three things. If you can focus on these three things, this should help. The first one I gave you, how to shut down conversations. See what is shared in light of your disappointments. Pretty sure I gave you that one. We just didn't get to the other two. This is what happens. This is what people will do. People begin to say, you know what? I saw this happen the other day. I got involved with something. You know, I was over at the store and I was doing this. And then you say out of your mouth, well, I wish you would do that with me. You know what you do to that person who was sharing something with you? You shut them down. You have just shut them down. You're trying to make a point. But that point did not come by the inspiration of God. That, that point came by the inspiration of those who wish to shut down conversations in your life. With your family, with friends, relatives, whoever it might be. The devil loves to shut down conversation. And he's going to inspire you with things. You're trying to enlighten. That's the idea. I'm trying to enlighten. If you only saw that this is what I want... And I'm using this example that you brought up to show it to you. But you have shut down conversation. All you said to them is, you're no good. You're no help. What you do is useless. And if you'd only do something like that, maybe it would help. You shut it down. This is the first thing that you can do. See what is shared in light of your disappointments. Whatever comes up that someone shares and somebody says something and they're excited about something, might even be, doesn't have to be a husband or wife, someone you might be out with. And they say, they're telling a story about something. Oh, this was so wonderful. Oh, this is so good. And you say, I wish God would do stuff like that for me. But God doesn't seem to care about me as much as he does other people. And you just take the whole thing right on down. You know what you do to that person? I mean, they may come out there and say, oh, I'm so sorry. Tell me, tell me. But inside they're saying, I am not talking about this kind of thing ever again with them. That's what you've done. If someone shares something with you, don't share your disappointments. Get excited for what they're sharing. If you want more of it, then you have to positively reinforce it. You got to say, tell me more. Tell me more about this. Don't make it about you. Talk about them. Don't tie this in with your disappointments. Secondly, 
how to shut down conversations. Overreact or answer loudly or harshly. If you wish to shut down conversations, real easy way to do it is overreact or answer loudly or harshly. How many of you like to talk to people who after you say something to them yells at you? Think of a boss. You're over with a boss and you're saying, boss, I was over here and I was doing this. Why are you doing that? What does that make you want to do? Well, next time I'm not telling you a thing that I'm doing. <laughs> I'm just going to go out there and do it. It shuts down conversation. Husbands and wives can do this with each other too. But at home we see so much, feel so much more freer. You'll do this with your kids. You've got to be careful with the kids because we almost feel like we have a right there. When they share something, to get immediately mad and become harsh and say things with a loud voice, you will shut those kids down and they won't talk to you anymore. I will shut down conversation in your life. You cannot build a team if you can't talk with them. Here's the other one. Show little interest. Show little interest. Well, that's nice. What do you want for dinner? Show little interest. Sometimes I've had conversations with people. They just showed no interest in, in what I was sharing with them at all. No interest. I was, I, the, the, this is the extreme. This happened many years ago with somebody that you all probably won't even know. <laughs> but I, I knew this to be an aspect of their personality. They would always shut down conversation with other people. They were only interested in themselves. They were only interested in what they had to share. And so one time, we were, we were getting close to it, and I knew, I already told God, God, if I pursue this with them, I will drive them away, they will leave. But I said, if I don't, I, I, I can't help them. And so we had a conversation, and during that conversation, this person was sharing things with me, and then I tried to share something with them. They shut that down, took it on to something about them. Oh yeah, well that happened to me, and they began to tell me their story, I don't finish mine. That's fine. So I went on, listened for a little bit, and then I did a second one. Told them a second point. And I was going to elaborate on that story. They shut it down. Oh yeah, well that happened to me. And they began to tell me about, about their thing. I did it a third time. One conversation. Three times. Three times I was shut down because they wanted to share what was going on with them. So I pulled, I stopped the conversation. I said, now hold on a minute. I said, I got to show you something. Three times I've tried to tell you a story. Three different stories. Three times I tried to do it and you shut down each one to tell me about you. I said, your conversations are always about you. If you don't have conversations that also let other people talk about them, you will shut them out of your life as well. Got to be careful about it. Take an interest in it. Listen. Husbands, when your wife shares a story, take an interest in it. Wives, when your husband shares a story, take an interest in it. Listen. Those are three conversation killers. There's probably plenty more. I put this, I, I think I wrote this in your outline for you. It does some good to suppress these things or basically not speak them even though you still think them. It does some good to suppress that. But not nearly as much as making the good genuine. Make that the genuine where you are. Make this your mind. Have the mind that Christ has in these things. Don't make this something that you are suppressing. I'm putting, I want to say this, but I'm, I'm stopping myself and I'm putting this down and I'm, I'm going on. And, and don't say those un, unspoken sentences. 
Oh, I've got so much to say on that right now, but I'm going to refrain. You've already damaged the relationship just by letting that out. Already damaged it. There, you just told him, I want to yell at you and tell you how little you mean to me in all these... You've already damaged it. Just don't say it. Now, it does some good to suppress those things, but it's even better if you just make it a genuine way you are on the inside. Have Let this mind be in you. If you would do this, take an interest in the people that are around you. Take an interest in what's going on. Not just for what it benefits you, but be mindful of being beneficial to them. Don't just do the things that benefit you. Do the things that benefit them. Verse 14. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Oh. Do how many things? All things without complaining and disputing except when dealing with your spouse. Except when dealing with your kids. Except when dealing with an unruly boss. It doesn't say any of those things, does it? Do all things without complaining and disputing. I haven't shared it in a while, but I know I shared it before. Uh, the, the, the time in my life that this came to be, just hit me between the, the, the eyes, so to speak, is when we were at uh, Kelser's Horse Riders, and I had another driver there. He was a good driver. Uh, he, he was a good driver. I enjoyed him. And, uh, and he had certain routes and I had certain routes and we would do things and we were constantly running out of product, constantly running out of things that we needed. They weren't being ordered and we would have to go out in the road and not have them. It would get us upset. And I remember one time I can still picture the day. It may have been a long time ago, but I can still picture it. I'm there in the back of my truck or I was back of his truck. I forget which truck it was. We were in the back of one of them. And the two of us were loading up the trucks. We were, I was helping him load up his. He was helping me load up mine. And we were loading in and we're loading in what we could find and what we had. And I remember talking to him. I don't know why Hank doesn't get these things ordered. I don't know why he doesn't bring these things in. We can't sell what we don't. We just, we're going on. We're just hitting each other. We're going back and forth. I turn around. Guess who's at the back of the truck? My boss. Hank's standing right there. He's very gracious. Didn't say anything about it. But I, I knew. Now see, I felt bad then because I was caught. <laughs> I've learned to, to, uh, make that adjustment whether you're caught or not. So I went to him later on and I talked to him about it. But the good thing was we eventually got a solution that, that helped everybody out. And, uh, came to bring the play, company into a good place with that. But you see, I sometimes go back to that memory. Now, God didn't want me to have that memory, but since I have that memory, it drives that point home. Don't be over there talking about other people when they're not here. If you got all against your brother, what's the Bible say? Go to them. But make sure you do it right. Don't just go over there and speak to them about it. You'll drive people away from you. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. We won't shine as lights in the world if we're complaining and disputing like the rest of them are. We've got to get in there and stop complaining and disputing. Stop fussing all the time. Just get in there and get the thing done. Something's not going right. Stop complaining about your husband. Stop complaining about your wife. Stop complaining about your kids. Stop complaining about your customers. 
Here's the easiest way to look at this. If you have customers and you're out there and complaining to them all the time, what happens if those customers go away? What happens if they're all gone? No customers come in. There's no reason for you, is there? Stop complaining about them. Look at them and say, I am glad that you're here because as long as you all keep coming in, I have a job. Don't be complaining about them. Be glad for them. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless. That you may become, this is something that we become, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Even in Paul's day, the generation was crooked and perverse. It's not just ours. Holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. Uh, Hold on a minute. We're going to get into Timothy in a minute. Look back at verse 16. Holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. How many times have we thought that we have put into people for no good reason? You ever thought that? You had some people in your life, you put into them, and then they're gone. Oh, why did I waste my time with that person? All that time I put in there, all that time I did, how come they didn't appreciate all the things that I did with, for them? And we begin to think that kind of stuff. But don't. Don't let that go in there. He says in verse 16, Hold fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. He says, Hold fast. One of the hardest things to do is to hold fast to the things that God has taught you to do when other people do stupid things. Now, I put this in your, a note in your outline for you. When was the last time grumbling and complaining accompanied your obedient action? When was the last time that you obeyed and did something that God said and grumbled and complained about it too? It doesn't grumbling and complaining usually come along with our disobedience? Not the obedience? Get rid of the grumbling and complaining. You're going to find you're going to obey a lot more and get into that blameless lifestyle he was talking about. That word there, hold, holding fast, it means to hold upon, to retain, to pay attention, to give heed unto. Now what wears you out the most? One of the things I'll tell you that will wear you out the most. Evil. How many get wore out by all the evil that's around? Corruption. You get wore out by the corruption. You get tired of hearing how this judge did this or this lawyer was messed up with this or this teacher's doing these things. Corruption gets in there. Doesn't that wear you down some? Selfishness. When you see people around you that are selfish, doesn't that wear you down? Ungratefulness. How many just are get worn down because of the people that are ungrateful in your life? You do things and they're not grateful. Doesn't that wear you down? Doesn't that make you just want to quit? Not do it anymore? But he says, hold fast. Hold fast these things. Despite the things that are coming to try and wear you down. Acts 3 and verse 5. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. This is the miracle that, that um, John and uh, John and Peter were doing at the, at the gate. They saw the man. He gave them his attention, 
expecting to receive something from them. This is not really what the, the, the verse is about, but you can see this in a, how many are tired of people in your life that only give you attention when they want something? You tired of that? Isn't that ungrateful? They only give you attention when they want something. And you think, oh, so-and-so is calling me. Oh, so-and-so is here. What do they want? You know they want something. So he gave them his attention expecting to receive something. And these people who show up, they expect to receive something. They haven't given you a thing. But they expect to receive something from you. Many people will look on you the same way, expecting to receive something. Boy, how refreshing it is to see those who look on you and seek your own good, seek your own well-being. Isn't that great when people come up and they're interested in you because they're, they want to see you do well? Isn't that just great? Ah, oh, such a refreshing. It builds you up. It's not a drain. They're thankful. They're grateful. These are the kind of people we want to have in our life. First Timothy 4.16 Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Take heed to yourself. When we get wore out by these people that are ungrateful, that are always showing up trying to pull something from us, we stop doing what we know to do. We stop doing what we know to do. Don't stop doing what you know to do. Keep doing what you know you are to do. He says, continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. The enemy wants to try and tell you, stop doing what you're doing because it's not helping anybody. No one's sticking around. They're all leaving it. They're all wandering away. And they get you to be discouraged. How many read the quote in the bulletin today? Anybody read that one? Yeah, that was from me this time. As long as we keep walking in the principles of God's Word, we know and understand today, we will know and understand more tomorrow. The Lord spoke that to me when um, I was meditating on some things. That if I stop doing the things that I know to do, the things that I know and understand, if I stop doing them, I won't progress in what I know and understand. But other people's ungratefulness, other people's unthankfulness, the attitudes that I see in other people sometimes get me to stop. The enemy knows if I can get you to stop doing what you know and what you understand, you won't grow in what you know and what you understand. And he accomplishes something he wants to do. He tells the Philippians, hold fast to show that Paul's labors were not in vain. That's one of the things we like to know that all the time we put into our kids was for something. Don't we like that? We see good coming out of the kids. Oh, that was good. I put time into them. Look at how they're turning out. Look at how they did turn out. We find people that God had as mentor and they grew up and they became something and we look at that and say, oh, God used me to help them and we feel good about that. Sometimes we see them go another direction. I was meditating on some other situations that go on, thinking on this. And I thought this way, an employee does not expect a, a boss, their superior, to support them, do they? If you walked into a job and you have a boss or uh, 
uh, a superior, you're new at the job, and you walk into the boss's office, boss, I need you to do this, and 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 I need it done by the end of the day. How would that go? It's, it's not going to go well at all, is it? Why? Because they're the boss. We're there to support them. But that's how a lot of things work in marriages, in families, is we come on in and we begin to say, you need to do this, 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 this today. We're not there to support each other. We're here to demand. If you try and do that to your boss, it will fail. But in the same way, there are people in your life that God has put in your life that you're there to mentor, that you're there to help, that you're there to bring up. They're not to your level yet. They're at a lower level in their walk than you are. You understand more of God's Word. You understand more about prayer. You're there to help them. And you seek them out. They seek you out. And you put into them. And you put into them. And you put into them. You're looking for an investment. How many people want to look for an investment on that? I want to see something materialize out of that. Even if I don't get it personally, I just want to see that person grow and do some things with it. Be able to to accomplish some stuff. I learned a long time ago. And I've, I've buffered my actions since then. Because there's nothing like learning by experience. Nothing like it. When somebody does things to you, you learn. And so I've walked through this and I've been through it enough times that the people who demand the most out of you without giving anything back will be the people who will drop you the fastest. In fact, the more they demand from you and the less they give back, the faster they will drop you. That is, a, I don't know if it's a spiritual law, but I, I have observed it enough times that as soon as someone, this has been years I've walked this way, years, as soon as I see someone getting into that type of a one-sided relationship where they're always trying to depend on me, but never putting anything back in. I distance myself. I keep it at a distance. I don't cut them off. I don't not help them. But I understand you'll, you'll walk away from me faster than, than anything. And then generally, they'll walk away from you without ever explaining it to you. They won't even tell you. How many have ever had it happen? Somebody you had in your life, you can raise your hand on this one. We can do outside hands. Somebody you had in your life, you put a whole lot into them, and then all of a sudden they were gone. Anybody have that? A couple people? Yeah. Sometimes it, it hurts us. And we begin to think, what did I do wrong? Anybody ever thought that? What did I do wrong? What did I do? I did something wrong. I did something that drove them away. Yeah, stop that. I'm telling you, this is a pattern. This is what goes on. The more someone depends on you and keeps that one-sided, the more that happens, the quicker they will drop you. And it has nothing to do with you. Don't get under guilt and condemnation for that. Don't you be concerned about it. When they do, to them, it was your fault. And they will tell everybody they can, it's your fault. They will feel completely justified by it. Totally justified. 
Just let the signs, when you see the signs, just let the signs tame your expectations. Don't, just don't let, let the dependence keep growing. Make sure that you, you keep it in a situation where they have to give to. If you allow it, this is what you, you, you'll be doing. If you allow it to be completely one-sided, this is the way it will go. You cannot allow it to be completely one-sided. We don't do it with our kids, do we? When our kids are growing up and they get to a certain age, clean your room. If you went in there and cleaned your room, wouldn't you do it better? Uh-huh. You would. But then they're not, they're not giving anything back. You're looking for ways for them to put back in. You're looking for ways for them to help. I've got some examples that I wrote down in, on this. There, because there needs to be a sacrifice. There needs to be a sacrifice on the part of the person that you are putting into. Because this is what God requires. Does not God require us to give something when He gives to us? I mean, we surely give, we receive more in it. But He doesn't just give with nothing. Doesn't He always demand something? If you will do this, I will do this. Doesn't He do that a lot? There's conditional, conditional things in there. Here's some examples for you. The woman who is at and when Jesus parked himself at the back and watched the people put the offerings in, remember the woman, he, the widow? Hey, hey guys, did you see what she gave? She gave it all. Notice what's not in the scripture. Jesus did not go over and say, oh, miss, you need this more. Take this back. He didn't do that. Why? Because she needs to, to give something. There needs to be some sacrifice on her part. Give you some others. The woman with the oil came in and anointed the feet of Jesus. Why did Jesus let her do that? Because there needs to be some sacrifice. There needs to be some putting in from there. What about the rich young ruler who would not sell all? Did Jesus pursue him? No. He wasn't willing to sacrifice. He wasn't willing to put into it. Therefore, he walked away from it. Jesus was sad. But hey, this is his choice. Hey, but the disciples, they gave up all, didn't they? Didn't they all say that? Hey, we gave up all to follow after you. Yeah, and you're going to have a whole lot more in the kingdom to come. How about the widow with Elijah? Did the widow just have Elijah show up? Hey, I'm here and we're going to eat forever. No, he said, make me a cake. Oh, I can't make a cake. I mean, I've only got enough for me and my son. We're going to make this cake and then die. And what's he say? Make me a cake first. Why? Because there needs to be a sacrifice. There needs to be a give and take. It cannot be a one-sided relationship. God does not promote one-sided relationships. He wants a give and take. When, when Elijah came by and put that mantle on Elisha, what did Elisha go out and do? He sacrificed the oxen. There was a sacrifice on his part. How many more parts of the... Go through the word on your own. In order for Abraham to be blessed of God, was there not a sacrifice? First sacrifice was, leave your home. Leave your family. That's a sacrifice. To go to a land you don't know. After that, he said, sacrifice your son, your only son. There was a sacrifice. God knows this as well as, as I have learned it. 
if you are going to have a relationship with people, there's, there's got to be a give and take. You've got to set it up to be a give and take. And in the beginning, what they give may not be all that valuable to you. But let them give it. Because if they continue to give, even when it's not all that valuable, eventually they'll begin to add some things that are valuable. If you want to have support team to bring some real value and support in, you've got to let them be a support when they're bringing things that are not that valuable. Don't put it down. Don't speak evil against it. Don't say, well, that's nothing. You honor it. You enjoy it. You take it for what it is. So that they will eventually do more. I put it in your outline this way. The more sudden you have soured on someone, the more likely it is you that has the problem. The more sudden you have soured on someone. Ever had someone in your life that you have soured on and just wanted to cut them off? The more sudden that is, the more likely it is that you have the problem. If you were going good and going good and going good and then all of a sudden they are dead to me. I don't use that phrase but I know some people do. They are dead to me. All of a sudden more than likely it's them that's the problem. Now flip it around too. If people suddenly treat you this way, more than likely the problem was on them. The more sudden that relationship cuts off, the more it's on them. Don't take my word for it. I'm not going to give you the stories on this one, but go to the Word. Take a look at how many times people cut God out of their life. It wasn't gradual. It was sudden. The problem was on them. It was not on God. He says in verse verse 20. Do we, we keep going? No, nope, we stopped at verse 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state for all seek their own, not the things which are Christ. Now we went through Philippians. We spent some time on this. I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. Verse 21. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying is, there are two people in this world that I know that will give completely over to the things of God. Two. Me and Timothy. Now think of the people on his team. How about Silas? How about Titus? How about Barnabas? How about Peter? How about John? Keep on naming people in the New Testament. These are people that are in Paul's day. Maybe not all of them were on his team. These are people in Paul's day. Were these other people used of God? Was Silas used of God? He sure was. But he was not having this same mentality, was he? You can still be used of God and not have this mentality. But you will be used more if you have it. That's why we got to get to that place. All seek their own. I'll do that as long as it doesn't inconvenience me too much. Now there's varying scales on this. Sometimes we're down at the bottom of the scale, sometimes at the top of the scale. We've got to work ourselves from the bottom of the scale to get ourselves over to the top of the scale to be up there with Paul and Timothy. I mean, what a testimony for Timothy. Timothy's up there on Paul's level. I'll bet some of you wouldn't have, wouldn't be able to say this. 
like Paul. That's where I'm at. I don't care about me. To that degree. I care more about the church. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. They'll care for your state, but as long as certain things come that help them. I'll care for you as long as I'm getting a certain thing out of it. If I'm not getting that, we stop that care. For all seek their own, not the things which are Christ. There's no one like-minded. Actually, you could put that equal sold. You want to write that in the, next to it. No one like-minded or equal sold in their sincere care, not seeking their own, who seek the things of Christ alone. When Paul was in prison for the final time, guess who he wanted to be with him? Guess who he asked to bring to him? Timothy. How can we, in ministry or Christian living, seek our own? Well, God, I'll do that as long as it doesn't inconvenience me too much. I'll do that as long as I don't have to give up something that I'm not, I'm not ready to give up. When God says, I need you to, to drop this, I need you to give this up, well, I'm not ready to do that. God can still use you, but not to the degree that He wants, because I'm not ready to give this part of it up. We still seek our own. If you think that you have completely passed the spot of not seeking your own, then take a look at the relationships closest to you. Take a look at husbands, wives, children, parents, friends. Take a look at that and see how unselfish you really are. Jesus made himself a selfless servant. Many have made themselves selfish takers. Not faith perceivers, which we should be, but selfish takers. You can be a selfish taker, not a faith receiver. We're called to be faith receivers, to receive things by faith, but many Christians become selfish takers. They'll say, I've received, I've received that. (laughs) Talking about the blessings that they're going to get. Talking about the things that they want in their life. I've received that. I put this in your outline, I believe. What have you made yourself to be? What have you? You're going to make yourself. What have you made yourself to be? Now get this part. Samson is the only deliverer. I didn't write this down. You can write it down or do whatever you want to remember. But Samson is the only deliverer for Israel that God raised up who became a prisoner or came under the control of the enemy they were supposed to deliver them from. He is the only deliverer raised up in the Bible who came under the control of the enemy they were supposed to deliver Israel from. Only one. No one else ever came under the control in the Bible. Just Samson. And Samson is the selfish, anointed judge. Now the enemy today is still making prisoners of those who have delivering power. You know that? The enemy, Satan, his kingdom, is still making prisoners of those who have delivering power. And it begins exactly the same way. With selfishness and flirting with things we are to be removed from. Samson flirted with stuff he wasn't supposed to have any part with. And he was selfish. And he is the only one who was given delivering power, delivering anointing, who came under the people. They was called to deliver from. 
Many Christians, we are called to be a deliverer, deliverance from the evil one for this world. But we have come under the power of that same evil one because of selfishness that we have allowed into our life. We've got to get rid of that. And because we are flirting with sin, well, maybe I can do this. It seems like if I get involved in this, nothing bad happened to me. If I focus on being like-minded, selfless, focus on the things of God instead of the likeness or, or, or thinking, thinking and acting the way I want, thinking or acting and doing the things that I want to do, really, in the body of Christ, there would be no contentions. We wouldn't see it. If I was so focused on being like-minded like Christ, if I was so focused on being selfless, if I was so focused focused on having my life operate the way that Jesus did, the contentions wouldn't be there. I wouldn't consider some of those things important enough to have a battle over. In our relationships, in our husband and wife relationships, we're sometimes battling over some things that really are not that important. With our kids, we're sometimes battling over some things that are not that important. All they're doing is creating distance. We've got to let some of these things go. Not just to suppress them, but to actually genuinely have these attitudes on the inside of us. Selfishness works to protect what we have, forgetting what we have in Him. When I, begin, when I adopt selfishness, when I become selfish, I am looking to protect what I have. Well, all I have is this. So I'm not letting you get that too. And we become selfish and we protect the thing that we have. Not understanding that in Christ we have everything that we need. I got my focus off of in Christ. I got it in me. I only got this little bit of happiness left. I only got this little bit of of stuff left. I got to protect it. And selfishness, we fall into that because I am not going to let anyone else take this from me. And then the devil has got you in a death spiral. You won't develop a support team. You won't develop your husband and wife relationship. You won't develop your kids' relationship. You won't develop relationship with friends. You won't develop relationships at work. Because you're always protecting. I'll give you this assignment this week. In, your, in the places where you're at, I want you to look for the selfishness in others and see what it's doing. If you can begin to see the selfishness in others, it may open up your eyes to see what's going on the inside. Because, folks, there is more selfishness in us than we are aware. If Paul himself could say, of all the people he raised up, all the people he ministered to, all the people he had on his teams, all the people that he has, all the pastors that are under him, and he says, there's only two of us who think this way. I may think there's probably some room for me to grow. Probably got some aspects that I can develop this in. give you this to end on. Do our conversations involve this? There's no room to put this in there. You can write it in if you want. Do our conversations that I have with other people, do those conversations involve problems I see in them? Do they involve problems that I, as I see them? Am I just talking to the problems as I see I don't want to hear how anybody else sees them. I either want to talk to you about your problems as I see them I want to talk to you about problems as I see them. And that's it. I don't want to hear what you have to say. I only want to talk about me. 
That's not going to help you. If our conversations involve people and how they exasperate us, people and how they exasperate our problems, if our conversations are always talking about people and how exasperating they are, people and how they've exasperated the problems, this is not going to help us out. We've got to get out of those kind of conversations. If I have conversations that involve those things, quit them. Cut them out. Understand these things are detrimental to you having a support team. If my conversations talk about wisdom that is so clear to me, well, I don't know why everybody else doesn't see it. I see it so clearly. And we Have you ever had a conversation like that with other people? Surely not. But other people maybe have. I don't know why they can't see it. I can see this clear. This is how it is. This is how it is. They ought to just do it. They ought to just... Resp- and that's what we do. Wisdom that is so clear to me. How many times could Jesus have this kind of a conversation with people in his day? But he didn't have that, did he? Here's the last one. If my conversations involve solutions and no one else will do, no one else will do them. I, I have a talk radio show. I only listen to one. When Rush Limbaugh went and retired on, I, I found another one and put him in place. I only do one. I don't, I'm not looking for two, three, four. One's it. So I just listen to the one and that's, a, that's enough of that. <laughs> Take too much of my word time out. But I listen to this and sometimes people will call in and as soon as I do it and as soon as I say this, they say these words and inside I churn. And I almost, I just want to take the headphones off and stop listening. They'll say this. No one else is talking about this. And up on the inside, every time they say it, every time they say it, yep, only you, you're the only one who has that wisdom. Please bestow upon us your great wisdom. And then they begin to talk about something that says no people have been talking about for a while. That's why I'm not a talk show host because I just slapped them people. But they would always do this. Stop thinking that the wisdom that you have, the things that you see, is all that there is. More than likely, what I see is not completely it, especially if there is selfishness in me. If I have any bit of selfish in me, my view of any situation is going to be restricted. Brother Hagen used to tell us this story. He said, you ever hear people and they would talk about a view on a topic and one person would have this view another person would have this view another person would have this view? He said, well, it's kind of like climbing up a mountain. If you climb up the east side of the mountain and look out, you've got one view. Is that view wrong? No. But if you climbed up the west side of the mountain and then looked out that way, you would have a different view. Is that view wrong? No. You can climb up a mountain as long as you just look straight ahead. You don't turn your head. You'll have one view. You've got your view of your relationship. You've got your view of your job. You've got your view of your friends. You've got your view of your support team. And if you can never get outside of that view, that's all you're going to be restricted to. You don't know what kind of things are hindering the person that you're criticizing for not doing something, you don't know what's hindering them from doing it. You don't know if they have, don't already see it. Don't get into that. You are distancing your support team. And God wants you to have a support team. So that when you get into those situations, you got people and they come along. Not only do they come along, 
but they help. They help. They are. Oh, it was so good to have this going on. So good to have this happening. I have frequent conversations with Angel, and just about every time I talk with her, the situation that she's going through that that y'all are familiar with, she says, "I so thank you for the prayers. I so feel supported." She says that now. I haven't heard from her all week, so I'm getting a little. I'm to the point now. I'm about ready to call her son. I haven't heard anything from her for a little while and um, uh, last time that happened I called her son and everything was fine but um, I just uh, wanted, wanted to see what's going on because she was getting into a little bit more of a volatile situation with what was going on with her but you see that's what you want to have you want to have those support people that are around you and you want to develop them if you don't have the support if I don't have the support when I need it more than likely the fault is with me I have distanced the people that I should not have distanced and I've driven them away. Saul drove people away that could have been his support and kept him going in the right direction. David brought them to himself. We've got to be more like David, less like Saul's. Would you all stand up with me? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you have people in this world that are here to support us and to help us. And that we are here to help grow them they are here to help grow us. And as we all grow stronger in the things of God, we are even better support than we were before. I thank you for all the help that you give us in this area, the insight you give us from Scripture, and the people that you continually send to us. Even if we have driven away some of the people that could have been a help, I thank you that there are more out there. You will send them to us. We will learn how to developed and right. Glory be to your name. Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory to God. Well, let me know how your homework goes. Look around at some of the things that are going on. Look for the selfishness. Certainly look for it in yourself, too. Find it in yourself. Get that selfishness out. The more selfishness you have, the more damage you are doing to your relationships and the people that are around you. Next Sunday, right after church, we're going to be having the, the meeting for the outreach team. If you want to be a part of that, that's going to be happening right after church. You can check with my wife here before you uh, head out or you know, talk, her, talk to her during the week, and she'll uh, straighten you out on that. And then Saturday, we also have the ladies' uh, breakfast that will be going on at 10 o'clock. Have a great rest of the week. Bless some folks. Give them some support before you get out.